0: Hello, Mark Spencer here, publisher of the Climactic Collective podcast network. What you're about to hear is a collaboration between Climactic and the postgraduate Environment Network. It's a roundtable discussion with eight members of the group who were all recently trained in climate engagement by Climate Reality. The group started by former U.S. Vice President Al Gore. To tell us a bit more about Penn, I'm joined by Chris, Welcome Chris. Hi Mark, thank
1: you for having me. Pleasure. So can you tell us a bit about what PEN is? PEN is an acronym for the Postgraduate Environment Network, a student society run by students for students. We predominantly have people from the Masters of Environment at the University of Melbourne, but we cater to all postgraduate environment students who'd like to join.
0: And I understand that PEN actually runs a show on the Climactic Collective.
1: Absolutely. So we've got our own show called PEN Podcasts, which is A show that's there to help educate students about current career opportunities within sustainability environment. We interview current professionals working in different fields, such as government and policy, industry-specific ones, such as climate change consulting and NGOs, education. And we're also branching out now to try some other shows as it's passed over to our new outreach officer, Cameron. If you're
0: already listening to the show on the Penn Podcast feed welcome. But if you're not, if you're listening to this on Climactic or Climactic Candid, now you know what Pen Podcasts is, and you can check it out by just going to climactic.com.au, finding Pen Podcasts, and subscribing in your podcast app of choice. Thank you for joining me, Chris, to introduce this episode. And thank you for pulling this panel together. Uh, This is the largest amount of attendees we've ever had on an episode of Climactic. It's very exciting. So thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much for helping out, Mark. It was not really a surprise to find out that you yourself were an alumni of the Climate Reality Project. And thank you so much for collaborating with us on this episode.
0: It's a pleasure. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to an episode of Climactic Candid, where we highlight some of the best shows from the Climactic Network and beyond, which are just that, candid talks with real people about climate engagement. Today I'm joined by a co-host, Lynn Doe. Hello, Lynn.
2: Hey, Mark. It's so good to be back on Climactic.
0: Lynn, you were one of the very earliest guests and probably one of like the, the early validators of Climactic as an idea, because um, I'm not sure how I got on your radar, but I did. You being uh, uh, so, what what were you doing? Uh, your, what was your role like uh, last year or about 18 months ago? You're you're involved with this little uh, environmental group. Some people might have heard of.
2: Yeah, well, sometimes people might not have heard of Climate Reality, but they might have heard of Climate Reality founder, uh, former U.S. It's Vice true. President, Nobel laureate, Mr. Al Gore. Um, it's always funny uh-huh. explaining to people who he is, um, but I remember how I met you vaguely because, uh, so I had been running um, Climate Reality in the region for three or so years. I finished up earlier this year and I think it was in 2018, we had some interns who were going to set up at like some event that you happened to be recording at um, and you would come up to say hello or like somehow... There had been an interaction and I remember they came back into the office the next day being like, Yeah, we met this guy. He has a podcast. He's like super keen. And then, you know, this beautiful friendship emerged and I've been on a couple of climactic episodes. You have been to a ton of climate reality events, including a really special one last year in Brisbane.
0: Yeah, let, let's get into what that event was, and oh my god, thank you for the uh, the trip down memory lane. I remember now meeting Chris and Katie at a Climates event at uh, one of the lecture halls at University of Melbourne. I was told that, hey, I should probably apply for uh, for Climate Reality in Brisbane, something I was kind of on the fence about, because um, being in a room with Al Gore for three days, that sounds a little bit more advanced than uh, I th- wh- where I thought I was at at that time that surely enough is what happened and can you tell us a little bit about what climate reality in brisbane was last year like how how many people came along and what was your uh, involvement in pulling that together
2: yeah so climate reality is this pretty amazing international environmental organization that focuses on the idea that we all have a role to play in solving the climate crisis so -hmm. one of the flagship programs that climate reality runs is this like pretty phenomenal three-day training where Thousands of people sometimes will gather into one city location to learn about both the local and global climate change issue, the latest science, and like most importantly, some of the skills that they need to make a difference and equipping them with a network so that they can go out and do that, not just by their lonesome. So last year we were really lucky to host one of these events in Brisbane where we gathered 840 people at the convention center, which you know, by Australian standards, I don't know if more than a hundred people ever gather for anything that isn't a sporting event. So it was like pretty cool to just have a room. I mean, it's unfair to call the convention center a room, a massive hallway. It was pretty amazing to see 840 people all there.
0: Yeah, it was an amazing group of people and just the energy in that room. Yeah, close to a thousand people all on the same page about the climate crisis was, uh, well, for an extrovert like me, Lynn, I was in paradise being there. I think I I slept maybe six hours that three days. I was just networking up a storm and, yeah, from meeting politicians to poets and everyone in between, it was an amazing event. And that's why it was really cool today to, to jump on a call with you with some new leaders and sort of see where they're at a few weeks after the training. And what's happened this year, of course, Lynn, there's, you know, there, there's been a this this thing going on.
2: <laughs> I might have heard of it. Um, it's like the, a the virus.
0: See something. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the normal plans and, and schedules have gone out the window. And, of course, you know, <laughs> the thought of a, a room with... 800 people in it right now sounds The thought of a
2: room with two people in it, um, myself being one of those two people, already feels very absurd at this moment in time. I'm just comfortable in front of the screen now.
0: That's right, Lenny, even like this great fidelity of audio is making me uncomfortable because I think you might be anywhere near me, but Mm -hmm. I, I know we're separated by at least a few suburbs, so I'll get over that. So yeah, what you're about to hear is a chat with eight newly, you know, graduated, I'm not sure of what the right terminology is, Minted, Minted, uh, commissioned, um, you know, eight new climate reality leaders who, uh, all have something in common they're all members of the uh, postgraduate environment network which is a student group out of the university of melbourne which i understand is where climate reality for apac has been based for
2: the last few years is that right yes over the last four years um so obviously again not right now but if you ever want to see a climate reality staff member in person that's where you should go walk around a very large university campus and you might run into someone
0: just shout for al gore and someone will help you Probably nice a security enough. guard. <laughs> That's right. So settle in and enjoy this chat that Lynn and I had with yeah eight newly minted climate reality leaders, and uh, and find out more about climate reality and kind of demystify what this uh, mysterious Al Gore group is all about,
2: and why you should head to the next online training.
0: Welcome to this episode of Climactic Collective, the podcast network by and for Australia's climate community. Hosting this panel today is myself, Mark Spencer. I'm the publisher of the Climactic Collective, and co-hosting with me today is Lynn Doe. Uh, Lynn, hello. Hi, so good to be back. It's great to have you back. We have done a few episodes now about climate reality, but it's been a while, and uh, today was a good opportunity to, to have a chat with some newly trained climate reality leaders. Lynn was trained as a leader all the way back in 2007. She then joined climate reality in 2016 and ran the climate reality project office for Asia Pacific out of the University of Melbourne for three years. So we're both very excited to talk to this group of new climate reality project leaders today about how training went virtually, uh, about the state of the facts of the climate crisis in 2020 and, and how you've grappled with them, and uh, to demystify and make a bit tangible for listeners what the goals and outcomes of the Climate Reality Project really are. So uh, now I'd like to open the floor for opening statements from each of you. If you'd like to let us know what you thought about the training, how you're feeling now it, that it's been a little while since the training ended.
1: So for our listeners, I'm Chris. I'm studying the Master of Environment at UniMelb. And probably the thing I got out most of it is that it reminded me that I'm also a citizen and not just a, someone who's aspiring to be a professional in the climate space.
3: My name is Jesse. Uh, I'm from Colombia. I'm doing the Master of Environment as well, specializing in governance policy and markets. Um, I think the training was really interesting. But the most important thing for me was that I was able to share my experience and my background with other people who had the same motivation and the same inspiration. So that was really exciting. I was inspired by these people and I thought, okay, this is worth it and we can make it. So that's something I really enjoy from the training.
4: Hi, everyone. My name is Victoria. I'm also studying a Master of Environment at the University of Melbourne, and I'm from America originally. Um, (laughs) I really enjoyed climate reality. I have, you know, a few comments I can make on my overall experience. But I think one of the things that I took away was from the first session was when they talked about the moment of five interconnected crises. Because since I'm studying Master of Environment, I focus very much on the climate change side of things with the you know, conversation around the biodiversity. But the five things that they referenced were climate crisis, the coronavirus pandemic, environmental justice and systemic racism, democracy and biodiversity. And I hadn't thought about all five of those issues being interconnected um, and having this be such an important moment. Um, so I thought that that was really helpful.
5: My name is Doris. Uh, I'm originally from Hong Kong, studying Master of Environment in the Melbourne University as well. Uh, I originally have finance background and I'm trying to leap into, you know, like the sustainability field. Um, I think an eye-opener is how many people were actually involved in the training. You know, especially in the global training, we're talking about 5,000 people in the August batch and another 5,000 people in the July batch. And in the table work that, you know, like my table mates, they're really awesome people and they've been doing some awesome work. So I think that that was really inspiring for me um, that I can see hope, you know, like, uh, for the direction that we're working toward.
2: Hi,
6: everyone. I'm Alejandra. I'm also from Colombia. What I really, really liked about Climate Reality Project, it motivated me to do something and not just to stay studying and just like keep pursuing this career path, more like. Take action that literally like, motivated me to do something. Uh, it doesn't matter how little it is, it will cause an impact. We don't know the power that we have as communities, and that was very important for me.
7: So, my name is Amelia. I graduated from the master environment at the end of last year, and I now work at the university on the sustainability team. I'm the same as everyone else. I really, really liked the whole training. I think it was really great to be able to connect with so many people, and I think. The presentation, I'd, I'd heard about Al Gore's presentation, but I think it had a really uh, big impact on me. I guess kind of environmental issues have been washed out in the news a bit of late. So it was, I really, I didn't enjoy it, but I found it um, really interesting to be able to see the impacts of the climate change all over the world. And again, yeah, I found that really motivating to, to do all that we can to try and make a difference and spread the word around. So
3: my name is Rosalinda. I really enjoyed this training, but I really find a little bit hard to connect with people in the group that I didn't know before because many master of environmental students were there, so I just feel a bit familiar. Otherwise, it would have been maybe a little like difficult to connect with the group. Lucky last.
8: I am Aurel, and I'm also from the master of environment, and I'm specializing in education and social change. So I really enjoyed how current the training was. I think they did a good job trying to keep it um, relevant to all the issues happening today specifically the pandemic and black lives matters i'm really glad that they put that forward and it was consistent in both Gore's presentation and on-demand videos so that was something i really appreciated on a mainstream platform that had so many people
0: wonderful thank you all so much for those opening statements there i I think the main points I I really heard coming through that was just the the context of today. They couldn't ignore the fact that this is the first time you've ever had to do a a virtual climate reality training just due to what life is in 2020. And the fact that uh, if you have more than three people in the same room, you're probably going to be arrested for something Um, that there is a lot of hope and inspiration in what gets uh, delivered through climate reality. But yeah, the the format itself presented a lot of challenges this time. So, I'm curious if going back six months ago, what did you kind of know about climate reality already? Did Was this something on your radar? Were you looking to attend climate reality in the future? And why was now the right time for you to, to get involved?
3: I really knew uh, about climate reality since like five years ago, I think, or like four, like a long time ago. But I didn't have uh, the opportunity to go to any of these places where holding that event. So for me, it was, oh, my God, climate reality is going to be in Australia. I'm going to get to to have a face-to-face learning and workshops and experience, you know. But on the other side, I'm very happy that this training has really made accessible to more people around the world, which is great because that's what we want, right, with climate change, that information is spread to as many people as we want.
8: So I actually heard of climate reality last year when Elvor did the training in Brisbane. But I didn't think too much of it until I did an internship back in Malaysia where I'm from over the summer. And my boss actually was already a trained climate reality leader. And part of what the not for profit did was give climate reality talks. And I really liked how she tailored it to all the different people that she was seeing of all different ages. And I thought it was a really good way to engage people and that's what um made me decide to do the training.
1: Follow that up because pretty much like Aureole, i heard it a lot, but I hadn't thought too much into it until a few of our friends like Ravina, did it in 2019 and didn't have any preconceptions, but going in and having had time to thought about it, um, and maybe Victoria will have some thoughts on this too, I found it was a really good engagement platform for igniting global citizens into action and educating them on their ability to take meaningful steps towards solving climate change in their community, their city, or even in their country. Perhaps for people like ourselves who are studying this, it felt different to the people who haven't had an education in it, but I thought it was really useful for connecting everyone on that one level.
4: Similar to Oriol and Chris, I heard about it last year when a training took place in Brisbane, and some of my friends who I really respect as foremost climate leaders in our master's degree uh, went up there and got the training so I had a really high opinion of it and I knew that they got a lot out of it when I came into it this time I think I actually quite appreciated that it was spread over a few days online because sometimes those conferences can just be a lot being thrown at you in a short period of time and I feel like we were able to digest it a little bit better take it on our own pace and as Chris said I really appreciate Seeing how they're framing the climate crisis to people who aren't studying it because we're constantly exposed to it in a way that's kind of a bit more, you know, we're, we're at a university, we're studying this, we have, are expected to have a lot of background. Um, so knowing how they are telling and having this conversation with people who aren't working or studying in this space is really helpful. And it helps me to take a step back and recognize that you know not everyone knows as much as we do about it, not that the, we're complete experts by any means. I know I have so much more to learn and I did learn a lot from Al Gore's presentation, and it gave me some some more things that I want to research into being able to see it, how people who don't come from this background are are looking at it, and then having those conversations at our small group tables with a mixture of people from the background similar to what I have and from other spaces, seeing what really struck them was. I think, the the most impactful thing out of the project.
5: I totally agree with Victoria because we study the muscle of environment and the group of friends that, you know, like we have probably a, a little bit more environmentally conscious as well. Sometimes I'm a little bit scared to step outside of the green bubbles, you know, like to talk about some people who might be, you know, like not that interested, not that priority and, you know, blah, blah, blah. To talk about climate change not in a kind of like insurance way, you know, like, but more like a kind of like conversation way. And I really appreciate that the training were conducted online because originally it was not accessible to me because I am a part-time student. I have a word and, you know, I have other things on my plate. And because it was laid out as a global kind of like virtual training, that's the reason why I could sign up and that's the reason why I could make time and attend. So I'm like,
6: I heard about the project a year ago also because a lot of master students did it. I didn't know what I was getting into, to be honest. I was just like, oh, it looks like a cool opportunity. And I'm in that stage of my life that I want to take every opportunity that I can to learn. So I didn't have a lot of expectations out of it. I was just like, I'm just going in to see what's going on. I was very surprised about that thing of like putting this, all of this information available to people because I connected with people from Colombia, from Mexico, from a lot of parts of the world, that it's very important. Like, I, I really appreciate that this is also going to, like, the U.S., Europe, Australia, but also it's very important to get this information to those vulnerable communities and developing countries. And... We don't have those opportunities that often. We have very few opportunities. So for me, that was amazing. Like having like people messaging me like, oh, you speak Spanish. Oh, what are you doing over there? So that was very valuable for me. And I keep talking to them and trying to
7: like keep encouraging that community, that Latin community that I made out of their project. Similar to a lot of people in this chat, so I found out about it last year, volunteering with the sustainability team at the time, and they all Went over and they really, really liked it. So I had a lot of good feedback from them. Uh, so I was really keen to go this year. I think I'm the same as Victoria. I appreciated that it was broken down over a few days. I know there was a lot of people in my group. We had like a, our table had like a um, WhatsApp chat. I know it was a, a lot to digest for a lot of people and they um, were getting quite disheartened and I guess they were kind of waiting for the solutions to come and I quite liked the setting the scene. I feel like, yeah, at times you have to choose what you, what you show to people and, and the kind of impacts of climate change that you want to talk about because it can deter people. But I think because we were all there for the reason to learn more and learn how to actually communicate that with others, I quite liked the way that, that it was done and then we can go off and kind of tailor it to our audiences. So yeah, I really felt like again, like it empowered us to, to go off and engage with our communities.
2: You know, for over 13, 14 years, the trainings had always been in person, and it raises all of the questions around accessibility. But connection is totally different. And how do you balance that up? and how do you have an event that's both really local about a global issue? And how do you make this global issue relevant? Whether you're from Colombia and living in Australia, in Colombia and like accessing the internet through like a cafe, um, I think they're all really critical questions. Should also say as a side. The trainings are very popular, both in person and online. I apologise if you were rejected for the Brisbane training last year. I feel like I'm often in scenarios where I'm like, oh, hi, did I reject you? My apologies. One of the really cool things that we were able to do at Climate Reality last year, because we're hosted by the University of Melbourne, is that we actually ran a climate impact solution competition. So we ended up having... 20 current students, both undergraduate, postgraduate, from all of the different faculties and alumni um, that were the winning entrants, and we took a bunch of them up to Brisbane, so you potentially know who some of those individuals are. And I think one of the things that was fed back to us quite a lot was around this piece of... I learned so much, and I thought I already went in with a fairly strong base of climate knowledge. Um, and I'd be really curious to hear how you all experience that as students currently studying environmental issues, climate change, the fact that it's been multiple decades now where we've had scientific consensus, yet part because the organisation in the US, um, the country with the highest sort of percentage of climate denial, is is still such a focus on the science and the facts. Did some of that surprise you? How did you sort of feel in response to that? Are we still at this point where we're convincing people about the problem? What did you learn that was maybe new or shocking?
1: Being a student who studies this area, we've taken a lot of courses on mitigation and adaptation, so there wasn't anything that shocked me, I would say as in we get fed pretty realistic facts around our massive environment the whole time to the point that a lot of people have climate grief and, you know, need to take some time out and make sure they're taking care of their mental health, which I think is very, very important. So it was one of my thoughts for new people coming into the Climate Reality Project who hadn't studied in this space how they were dealing with that. But for me, it was interesting, too, to look at the adaptation aspect. I know it's a lot around mitigation, what Al is trying to do, but I thought it was interesting that he wasn't speaking as much about the adaptation front and the fact that this is a reality now. And it's an inconvenient truth that we're going to have to adapt to the changes that are already happening. I mean, the bushfires is great evidence of that this year. Listening to the stories around this podcast session, we know that people are here because they care, because they're seeing these impacts in their country. So the idea of just mitigating and not focusing on adaptation was a bit of a shock to me. Um, And I wish you'd spoken more about that.
3: One
4: of the things that... I think surprised me from the presentation. I'm looking back through my notes right now. And the the part of the presentation that I took most notes on um, was around the public health impacts of the climate crisis. It's not an area that I've focused on in my studies. And I understand that there is an intersection of those two things. But I didn't recognize that, you know, clearing out forests, um, which affects climate change, also releases more potential infectious diseases that humans are not used to things like that so the um I'm sh- i think that that scientific knowledge and research is growing more and more um and connecting those two things which i think are two major priorities for a lot of people and people often will prioritize health issues um you know we, we see a huge answered in response to the coronavirus pandemic um that Far outpaces the scale of the response to the climate change emergency. But if we can show that there are health impacts of the climate emergency in a similar way, potentially it can motivate that same level of enthusiasm and response from governments and, and individuals, just showing more of the immediate impact of it, since climate change often is something that people perceive as, as a future problem, showing how it's affecting us already
6: to say about the content at the beginning well, to be honest, I felt it was quite like alarmist and was quite strong. And all the information was kind of like very strong and very dramatic for me. Like I come from a scientific background, I study engineering, so I like like facts and I like things to be very clear and very precise. And that's, that's who I am. Also like highlighted to me that we may be still in that phase that we're training people to convince people that are on denial. So I guess, like, part of this project is also to convince those that are still in the, that denial spectrum. That's what the feel that I got from it, like, because of the type of information that was putting out there. There's still a lot of people that it's in denial that we need to convince to come and to act towards climate change.
2: Just to build in on some of that, um, so much of, I think, why people come to climate reality if they already know about the organisation is to hear Al Gore talk about climate change and even if you know everything that he's talking through you're like wow I never would have thought to frame it like that through working at Climate Reality having been involved with the organization for a long time have seen him uh, present both a slideshow and talk more generally about climate numerous times and every time I still pick up something different um, you know whether or not I could do the same Huge question mark still. How comfortable do you all feeling adapting um, the climate change in your continuing either public presentations to communities or individual conversations outside of that little green bubble that's been mentioned before? I really need to make a concession.
5: Like, you know, my starting point of being environmentally conscious is actually inconvenience truth. I still remember that moment when I was in a movie theatre. And looking at Al Gore operating, or maybe someone else operated for him, so hopefully And then he was talking about the CO2 went all the way up to the roof, And I was like, oh, my God. I still remember I was just a little girl. And I was thinking, oh, and it was driven by us. That was really, you know, oh, my God, like, we need to do something about that. That was the moment that wowed me. And here I am in the Mustard Environment at the University of Melbourne. The reason that driven me here was because I wanted to talk to people confidently, am I, to give the presentation right now. I'm actually pretty confident with that because I was really surprised that Elgo has been giving us, you know, and his team has been giving us all the references that they've been using, you know, and knowledge is power. They've been giving us all the linkage and all the research and stuff like that. That was valuable. So I think that's a very powerful tool that, you know, like the team has been giving us.
7: Yeah, I, I can follow on from that. I definitely agree. I know we, we were discussing in our group as the presentation went on when he'd say, oh, this study and that study, and we'd be like, well, what study? Like, we need to know exactly where you're getting your information from, and then it did come out, that we, and you had all the links and everything like that. So I really appreciate that um, that they've given us all that support and all those tools to use. I feel like I need to practice a few times. I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just so awkward because, because he is so – good at presenting but it's one of those things that's just you get better the more you do it so I feel like probably don't feel very comfortable at the moment I still you know there was so much um there's still so much data and reports to go through and read so I think um starting there and continuing to read through not just what they've given us but also what's out there so you are able to answer any tricky questions and things like that but yeah hopefully in the future I'll continue to feel um, more comfortable every time I present it so yeah I'm excited to to get going
1: I guess both Amelia and Lynn you had good points about the green bubble especially Lynn and being comfortable outside of that that's one of the challenges where I, when I was referring to being a citizen as a student and a professional who works in the environmental space it's very easy to see yourself as just a professional whereas presenting this as a citizen as a concerned person for your community that seems to challenge that green bubble notion quite well It's not as easy to bring that conversation up with someone on the street, like a family member or, you know, in this case, a policymaker. So I think it's a good challenge in terms of your direct question about confidence and maybe starting off with smaller, shorter ones, whether it's the um, truth in 10 or going, you know, for the half hour one. Something that you can take a bite sized chunk out of and then building up to the longer ones and maybe an audience you feel more comfortable with, maybe not directly going to. A large business, but a small community organization and trying to engage with them might be an approach, but I think it'll be good to see what everyone here especially can add because everyone has a background in an education in environment and climate change and what flavor they add to Al Gore's slides will be really fascinating to see.
2: Totally. I think, um, the, biggest thing to note with the truth in turn is it's more likely to be the truth in 20 minutes uh, you will take longer um, than the suggested time frame and you know part of that is figuring out well what's your climate story as well um, I know that this gets covered a fair amount in the training is that whilst the science the research and the facts are super important that's not how you change hearts and minds at the same time it's also about stories why is it that you care why is it that you as a citizen have decided to pursue these studies and this career path as well and I think regardless of the audience you're speaking to when you come to any group any presentation or conversation as your whole self if you will it really broadens out the scope of breaking out of the bubble and reaching new audiences.
0: So I assume you've all attended conferences and workshops and and things kind of like this before maybe not a a multi-day event like climate reality is and Definitely, when I went into the the Brisbane training last year, I felt like I was going into like a Ivy League for climate education. I didn't know if I was prepared for it. Um, I'd only gotten serious about climate change engagement a couple of years before last year's um, you know chance to go in Brisbane. So I just have a question for you guys around what it was like attending this virtually. If you were given the chance to attend this again in person, but you had to travel for it, and you had you know there was Subsequent emissions that were caused, you know, would you have chosen the the in-person at a at cost or the virtual at, you know, carbon neutrality?
2: I mean, obviously, I understand where Mark's um, question is coming from. Just wanted to share that for me, when I first did the training, one of the things that I think I took away from it the most wasn't actually the facts and the science and the here's how you communicate better this is what advocacy looks like but it was actually realizing that there were a whole bunch of people who were not at all like me that cared about climate change Um, and you know the difference of being able to see these people in the lunch line, um, overhear their conversations, walk over if I was curious is probably the thing that I would miss the most in an online event when you're grouped with your small little table, even though everyone's awesome, you're grouped with them in part because you're sort of already like them. So for me, the in-person value is definitely that, uh, even though the emissions, the accessibility, um, the affordability of a virtual event obviously is very difficult to surpass. Totally
4: understand where you're coming from with that. And I really struggle with that balance as well. Um for my old job I used to help them put on the yearly sales conference where we would fly in five hundred people from around the country, which the carbon emissions associated with that are absolutely insane. But it was the thing that really brought people together and you know built this sense of of community and like inspired everyone for the year. It was their favorite part of the entire year. And I think that's Really the benefit of in-person events is not the information that you're really getting delivered from it. It's connecting with other people for climate reality specifically, it's, as you said, meeting people who come from a different background, but are still passionate about this subject. Um, it's not just people who are studying a master of environment. It's people who are working in, in policy or in completely different industries, um, who are just interested in figuring out how to incorporate this into their lives. And I think meeting people At these conferences is really the benefit you get just kind of as a comparison. I think, Mark, you you talked about the um, National Climate Emergency Summit, which I attended in person this past year, and it was basically just a series of really heavy like um, panels and presentations on climate and it was exhausting and I didn't really get to meet people. I didn't feel like it offered that opportunity. So there needs to be a balance between disseminating information and having it be more of just a, a meet and greet and connect with people.
7: I'll just add on to that. I I'm very envious of people like you, Victoria and you, Lynn, who, you know, you're saying you can hear a conversation, you can jump in on and you know start talking to those people. I personally am not like that. I you know, it's it I felt like having this virtual training I kind of was able to stay in my shell, which isn't a good thing in things like this. So I quite like uh, the face to face and having a table and it, it kind of is easier to open up and meet people and then form those relationships with people. Um, and I think in terms of the impact of these events, there are things that you can do and put them in place to make them more sustainable. Um, you know, like central locations, providing uh, transport and, and things like this that you can make them more environmentally friendly event. And then for people that can't access it, you can I guess have that teleconferencing rooms or whatever it is like that for, for people who can't make it. But, yeah, I think there's always going to be like a trade-off and there's really good things about it and there's there's really not. But, again, yeah, personally, I think for, for me and the social side and interacting with people, it's, it's better in person.
2: You mentioned the events can obviously still be made sustainable and there's always more that we can do. I think one of the most weirdly disappointing things um, about you not being able to attend one of the in-person events is actually not getting to witness just how much time and effort climate reality puts into that. Part of my role over the last... Yeah, was organising the Brisbane training and we work with all of the venues to ensure that we're sourcing, renewable energy to power the event, Um, we work with the venue to change the way that they like provide bins and what's really great when you have I guess like the purchasing power if you will of a big event with like a thousand people is that if they're going to make the change to get our business they're likely to keep on that change for um, other things that they do too and over the many years we've run this event it's probably one of the things that people actually fed back to us the most that this was the most applicable thing that i could immediately take back to my office place i didn't even realize that you could do it like this uh you know everything from like name badges are recycled um like everything that we serve is like vegan or vegetarian uh it's Just one of those things that until you see it, you don't remember it. And I don't think of it very much anymore because it was so ingrained into how we worked at Climate Reality. that it wasn't until six months later someone came up to me at another climate event nominally and they commented on how terrible everything was and how we as Climate Reality should share what we've been doing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had, like, forgotten that's what we do. Um, So something that Climate Reality has been organising year in, year out for maybe five or six years now is called 24 Hours of Reality. Um, It's changed shape a lot. And obviously with COVID, it's going to be a bit different too. But it's coming up in October and I think it's such a great opportunity to either attend a presentation someone's posting or maybe you should do a presentation as well, whether it's like to a group of friends, to a new community. Um, Yeah, so I'd really just love to put that onto your radar and throw over to Mark for the last question.
0: And right on time as well at 2.20. So the final question for for all of you, ideally, it's the question of, of what's next for you. You know, it doesn't have to be necessarily committing to, hey, there's 24 hours of reality in October, but like, there's the option there. What's next for you? And, and maybe like what's something you think you're going to be doing now that you wouldn't have done before attending climate reality?
3: The next step after this training, I'm thinking like I'm creating material. Like that's something I need to work on.
1: I might follow that because it's interesting being at the end of my master's degree now. and had the ver- great opportunity to engage with students and make what I would consider very minor impacts within that community. So now I'm considering it at a broader scale. So this actually came at an opportune time. So it will be just taking small steps outside the green bubble, writing letters to local policy makers, engaging with communities. I don't think I'll do the October um, 24 hours. I'm not sure I'm confident enough for that yet, but I'd love to do some presentations and engage with people.
7: Moving forward, I I, I really, I think I mentioned this before, I really don't like giving presentations only because I'm not, um that confident in it, but it is a skill that I really, really want to build. Like I think it's a really important skill to have and it helps you build confidence not just in giving presentations but also holding important conversations with people. So I'm definitely going to build up to that with friends, then maybe at work and, and then maybe expand out from that. So that's a goal. And I really hope that we can all stay connected and I, uh, you know, something like this, Chris giving us the opportunity to join in with this. If you have anything else that anyone needs help with, I'd love to do that as well. And I guess all of us just staying connected and kind of sharing any opportunities that come up, then we can all get involved. First step
3: for me, it is uh, connecting with more people that are really interested about taking action on climate change, to fight climate change, Um, but also to connect with other people with the purpose of doing something together, maybe an event, maybe a big action, maybe a conference, and I also follow what Lynn said that a conference or an event in person is a great opportunity to show how sustainable we can be. So I think really we can do many things together and we all have different backgrounds. All of us, we are master of environment students, but there are outside other people who have a different backgrounds, different experience, different knowledge that can really add a lot of value to some actions that we can organize together.
5: I have booked in a Private presentation on the tenth <laughs> of October. Uh, it's going to be, you know, like um, conducted with a group of friends, maybe around ten of them. They're very forgiving people, so I think that's a very good, you know, example uh, for me. And as we've mentioned, you know, like we, we came from, you know, like academic backgrounds, and um, we need to study the material, and that's what I put in there to force myself to study the material.
4: Um, so. Hooray and wish me luck. That's awesome, Doris. Good luck. One of the things that and I might have to say this a bit quietly, one of the things that I have been advised to do and I think that this training has inspired me a bit with is um my partner's father is a um Bit of a climate skeptic and I'm living at their house right now. And so I've obviously, um, not really been wanting to engage in that conversation, but I feel like this training did give me some tools on how to discuss this topic with someone on the basis of values, um, rather than on the basis of just throwing more information at them because studies have shown that just giving someone more information isn't really going to change their mind if they're set in a certain way. But hopefully, as I build up a more of a rapport <laughs> um, and a trust with him, um, I think he's already starting to listen to me a bit more about these topics. And um, being able to have that conversation a bit more with him. And I'm hoping he's not in the house right now.
8: <laughs> Good luck
6: with that. <laughs> Please tell us how it goes. <laughs> um, actually, at uh, the moment, I'm like volunteering uh, with GetUp. Uh, so now we're at this stage that we're a lot of doing a lot of community engagement and with local council elections coming so we're gonna do a forum and we're going to ask, start asking our councillors and politicians what their position on climate change and all,
8: all of this. I also have to detract back to the previous question because I couldn't interrupt just now whether this is in the podcast or for your knowledge. I think we can't take a step back from virtual conferences because we shouldn't be debating the rights of access. I think that's kind of the bottom line. And take a step back from virtual conferences and be debating about oh this is such an invaluable thing in person, what does that mean for everyone else who can't go there in person? I just don't think that we should be debating that and it should now that we know like that we can do things online and virtually, we shouldn't be crossing that off the moment this pandemic is over.
0: Well, this has been absolutely fantastic, and I think we're you know we're just a couple minutes away from from two thirty. I've learned a lot. I've gotten really inspired by what you've taken away from this event, and the fact that you know from over a decade of this event happening in locations around the world, this event seemed to pivot to deliver a virtual version of climate reality. In 2020 is remarkable. Thank you so much to Lynn for coming along to, to co-host this with me. You know, you've grown up with climate reality, Lynn, and you've given so much of yourself back to this group and like, you know, people like myself being able to go along and everyone on this call has been directly impacted by your work you've put in at climate reality for years now. So thank you very much, Lynn Doe. Uh, thank you to, to Chris Dixon from Postgraduate Environment Network for, for pulling this panel together. And thank you to all of the wonderful attendees for this.